Tonight's going to be the first of a four-part series on right effort. Um, so to give you some context for right effort, the central teaching of the, the Buddha was uh, the Four Noble Truths. So um, have most of you heard of the Four Noble Truths? Okay. Basically, there's the existence of suffering, there's a cause of suffering, there's an end of suffering, and there's an eightfold path leading to the end of suffering. So then, in that list of four noble truths, there's the eightfold path. And within the eightfold path, there's um, three categories of elements. There's two of them related to wisdom. There's right view and right intention. There's three of them that are related to um, ethics or how we live our lives with others. Um, Right speech, right action, and right livelihood. And then there are three that are related to, I think primarily to um, how we relate to our own experience, both in meditation and out of meditation. And of those three, there's right effort, right concentra- mindfulness, and right concentration. So, tonight, so, so this series is going to be about right effort, the sixth um, element of the Eightfold Path. So I'm going to review all four of these efforts uh, at the beginning of the talk, and then I'll talk specifically about the first element. But I wanted to talk about right and effort. So right is not about something being right or wrong, like some moral judgment about what you ought to be doing in some absolute sense. Um, The Buddha's instructions were all about how do you arrive at the end of suffering? So that's, that's really all he really taught about was how do we reach some place of um, peace and freedom and liberation of the heart and mind from greed, delusion, and hatred. So if that's the path, if that's your goal, if that's the intention that you bring, then right in this concept concept is what what is the appropriate um, things to do or skills to cultivate that will get you to that goal. And you know, if your goal is something else, um, maximum intensity. <laughs> uh, then perhaps these aren't the right efforts to be making. And then in terms of effort, when I first came to practice, it seemed like a lot of what my teachers would say, both um, in settings like this and also on retreats, were usually about not making so much effort. You know, they were really about just pay attention to what's happening. You know, 
it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what it is you pay attention to it's just that cultivating of mindfulness cultivating the ability to just be present with what's happening in this moment and in the next moment and in the next moment really staying with those the, that experience and um, And not having to be, not having to bring a lot of discrimination into what it is that you're, that you're mindful of. There's also a way in which, when we pay attention to something, we feed it. We we might feed it. It's not always the case, but. And so, uh, for me, the, this this um, right effort element is really about paying attention to what is it in our experience, what thoughts, what emotions, uh, what states of being are we going to feed, and what states are we going to um, starve, starve by withdrawing our attention from withdrawing our um, yeah withdrawing attention from primarily so at some point it came to me that just well so it's very mindfulness is is central to the practice and so I'm sure you've received instructions in probably every sitting you've been to about importance of cultivating mindfulness. It's a really important skill and something you can strengthen by practicing. And at some point, it, there's also the need to cultivate discernment, to, to cultivate um, discerning what's helpful for you and what's not helpful. So the four right efforts are about that discernment and about what it is you're going to feed and what you're not going to feed. So I'll start um, by giving the list in kind of not in the Sutta type language, but in, in maybe sort of 21st century English. The first one is preventing or guarding against or avoiding the arising of unarisen, unskillful states of being. So that's cultivating the, uh, developing the ability to prevent states of being that aren't going to be helpful to the cultivation of your long-term happiness and well-being. And so that requires recognizing what those are. And there's times when you may miss that. And so the second right effort is abandoning or letting go of arisen unskillful states of being. So 
you try to prevent them, but at some point you just lose mindfulness and when you come back, you're in the midst of anger or you're in the midst of um, uh, despair or envy uh, or cynicism. You're in the midst of one of these unskillful states. And so the effort at that time is abandoning that state. And then the third right effort is cultivating or developing or bringing into being unarisen, skillful states of being. So those those states of being that will lead to your long-term happiness and well-being, doing what it takes to bring those, if they're not present in the current moment, how do you bring those into being? And then the final uh, right effort is keeping or maintaining or sustaining arisen skillful states of being. So, if you have a strong sense of um, investigation or a strong sense of joy or tranquility, concentration, equanimity, doing what it takes to maintain that state. How do, you, how, do you, how do you stay there? How do you continue to hang out in the states that you want to be hanging out in? So I mentioned this topic to a, a friend of mine last Friday when I had mentioned... Um, well, I didn't use the word skillful or helpful. I, I said wholesome and unwholesome states of being. She said, well, that could lead to a really long philosophical discussion about what's wholesome and what's not wholesome. And this really is, as I said earlier about the right part of right effort, this is really about recognizing what's going to lead to your long-term happiness and well-being and where where do you want to be? Where do you want to reside? So, the unskillful states, as enumerated by the Buddha, are the five hindrances. Now, is there anyone who hasn't heard of the five hindrances, or is okay? Okay, so there's there's five hindrances that tend to um, cloud the mind, tend to um, cover over and um, make it hard to see what's happening. The first of those is sensual desire. That's um, craving to have certain sense experience, whether that's sights, smells, sounds, tastes, touches, or the sixth sense door is the sense door to the mind. So uh, in that case, it might be uh, craving for wealth or power, position or fame. 
something where that craving, there's such a drivenness that we don't really see what's going on. So that's a, a wanting to have some experience. The second hindrance is ill will. Um, other words for that are aversion or hatred, anger, resentment. That kind of pushing away of experience. You know, not this. I don't want this. And again, in its strong forms, that can also lead to um, losing contact with the present moment. The, the third hindrance is usually um, presented as kind of two parts. It's often called sloth and torpor or um, dullness and drowsiness or um, uh, laziness and sleepiness. So one of them is, has more to do with kind of a mental inertia and one of them is more kind of a physical inertia of just a physical drowsiness or sinking. That again, when you're in the midst of that, it's hard to really be paying attention. You know, mindfulness can really get lost. <coughs> and then the fourth hindrance is, is probably somewhat the opposite of, of sloth and torpor. That's restlessness and worry. And there the mind is just jumping from thought to thought to thought. And sometimes referred to as monkey mind, like a monkey just jumping from tree to tree to tree. And worry is often described as um, you know, some sense of concern about things that might happen in the future. Maybe... Um, Remorse about actions in the past and what unintended, unintended, unintended consequences may be awaiting in the future. And then the final one is doubt. And that one I've, um, I think most narrowly is described as skeptical doubt or doubt about the path. Will this, is this really doing anything for me? You know, it, I know people have said that this leads to liberation, but is that really going to work for me? You know, am I going to be able to do this? So that doubt or that um, maybe lack of confidence or indecisiveness can also be a hindrance to to practice. So it's important to learn to recognize these five hindrances and really recognize them how do they actually operate in your life I mean you can read about them but it's important to really become a connoisseur of the hindrances in your own life how what triggers them you know can you can you recognize the conditions that when this starts to happen sloth and torpor is going to follow soon and what what do the, each of these feel like? What do they smell like? Can you recognize when the hindrance is operating so that you might be able to, to do something about it? And so in that, in that regard, 
it's the teachings you know reading the suttas and listening to teachers can only take you so far this really is kind of an experiential practice you have to you have to learn about the hindrances for yourself I mean there's some some general guidelines that when you're in the presence of an, an agreeable object some pleasant experience that often provokes desire so if you're noting pleasant experience then you might want to look out for is some craving for that um, starting to develop and disagreeable objects tend to provoke ill will so if the primary um, feeling tone of your experience is um, unpleasant then you might look out for is there some ill will that's going to start to to appear and then if it's an indeterminate object you know either either kind of pleasant or unpleasant kind of neutral that can often provoke uh, delusion you know that you just really don't know exactly what's going on or it's easy to 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 lose mindfulness um Right. So, let's see. So those are the the four right efforts, and I'd like to now talk a little bit more specifically about the first one, that is preventing unarisen, unskillful states of being. And the Buddha did give some instructions for dealing with. particular unskillful states the first one is to replace an unskillful thought with a skillful thought and I think that's helpful both in the early kind of preventive part of effort and also in the second part in the in the abandoning part that uh, Cheryl will talk about next week so the the Instructions that the Buddha gave for this first thing of replacing an unskillful with a skillful thought. For sensual desire, he suggested looking at the impermanent nature of the of what it is of this sensual desire that's 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 operating. You know, kind of recognizing that it's not a permanent. You know, there's no way it'll ever be permanent. You might get it for a while and then it'll be gone. Um, For ill will, he suggested replacing thoughts of ill will with uh, metta, thoughts of well-wishing for others. Um, For the sloth and torpor, or the dullness and drowsiness, (coughs) as more physical activity um, either going out and doing some brisk walking if you're on a meditation retreat or visualizing light or just some, somehow summoning up some determination that you'll stay with it. I had an experience of this when I was um, in Texas a couple months ago. Um, 
I do a practice where one night a week I sit up all night in meditation. And so I, I was doing that after we had worked a 14-hour day. And I found, first of all, I couldn't, if I closed my eyes, I was gone. So I had to keep my eyes open while I meditated. And I keep seeing, I wonder if, I, I wonder if I'm going to fall asleep. You know, I wonder if I'm just going to fall over. And by bringing investigation to it, like I wonder just like how many more seconds of this I can do before I fall over. And not being so attached to the result, but just you know, really bringing, bringing kind of a sense of awe to it. Um, I made it through the first sitting. And then the walking was pretty easy. And the second sitting um, was not so sleepy. And then after that, the, the drowsiness just completely disappeared. You know, it, it as solid and as um, un, uh, I guess as, as solid as, uh, impenetrable as I thought it was, it, w- it actually went away after a while. I have to admit, I was also eating chocolate that was 80% cocoa, so <laughs> that helped. But um, these things, these, these hindrances often aren't as solid and as immovable as we might think. Uh, let's see. So for restlessness and worry, one of the, the skillful things to do is to bring, to, to bring your attention to some simple object like the breath. So if the mind is jumping all over the place or you're just involved in all sorts of worry about what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day, just, just letting your attention rest on a simple object like the breath can often have a, a, a calming effect. And then finally, for doubt, the instruction is to really bring some investigation to it. Um, when I was on retreat at IMS a few years ago, uh, my teachers would ask me the question, when I would talk to them about having these thoughts of doubt, they'd say, well, why do you believe them? Why do you, why do you believe those thoughts? You know, what... You know what gives what gives them their power, and so if I really paid attention to the just to the fact that how ephemeral the thoughts were, that they really diminished in intensity, and there was even a little bit of kind of a game that they taught me of putting your awareness on the thoughts. And just waiting for when is the next one going to arise? You sit there, you wait, and wait, you know, and just really be attentive to when is the next thought going to arrive, arise? And it seemed like, well, I don't know if it was minutes, but it seemed like quite a quite a while before, if I was really paying attention to what's what's the next thought going to be, um, 
they would kind of scurry away and hide in the corners. So investigation, you know, and so thoughts of doubt are kind of the same way. That if you bring some investigation to them, you might find that they're not. There's nothing that says you have to believe those thoughts. So those are the the, and you can find this all in the suttas. And there's also a, you know, hand on, on the web. So those are the the for the five hindrances. Those are the five ways that the Buddha delineated for replacing a skillful, an unskillful thought with a skillful thought. Uh, other ways to deal with them. Uh, one of them is to reflect on the undesirable consequences of the thoughts. And I had an experience of that uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, I work for NASA and I go off to various parts of the world on a research aircraft to take data about the Earth's atmosphere. And so we had been working in Alaska and at the end of that time we were going to fly back to North Dakota where the plane's based. And so we brought our luggage out to the plane and we handed it to the ground crew. They put it on the uh, cargo belt, put it up into the plane. And then when we got to North Dakota, we pulled into our own private hangar and they brought the cargo belt out and they were taking the luggage off. Well, I didn't get out of the plane right away. I wanted to back up all my data on removable hard drives so I could take it home and be sure that nothing was going to happen to it. And so the time, by the time I got out of the plane, I walked down to the end of the uh, conveyor belt and my luggage wasn't there. How could they lose my luggage? <laughs> you know, I mean, this isn't like a commercial flight. This is, you know, I mean, it went on the plane in Alaska. It's got to be, it's got to be there. And there were about five of us that didn't have our luggage. You know, and these thoughts just started arriving. Like, what a bunch of knuckleheads! How did they, how did they lose my luggage? You know, this is impossible. And. I recognized that I had a little bit of animosity to some of the ground crew. <laughs> and not only that, but I noticed their supervisor and their supervisor's supervisor from NASA headquarters were standing about 50 feet away in the hangar. And I thought, you know, if I went over and complained to them about my lost luggage, this would really cause, you know, some action. And I started to walk over towards them. And then I recognized that I was making a choice. When I paid attention to my body, I realized I don't feel angry. There was none, there wasn't angry energy in the body, you know, a lot of the physical, that it was just these thoughts that I knew if I followed them, eventually the body would catch up. <laughs> but at that time, I wasn't really angry. I had just had this wonderful experience in Alaska. I had all my data. It was all safely tucked away. What was in my bag was probably worth a couple hundred dollars. I mean, even if they lost it, which I was pretty sure they hadn't. Um, and so this reflecting on the undesirable consequences of thoughts, I realized, why do I want to give up 
the feeling of well-being I have right now to go into a state of anger. And I, and, I, and, it was, and, I, and I could see at that point that it was a choice. There was no reason that it had to go one way or the other. And I just decided, I'm not going to do it. And I turned around and I walked back and I talked to the ground crew and they said, well, we took all of the luggage off the plane and we put it in a truck and we sent it to the commercial airport because most people were going there to get rental cars. And they said, yeah, so you weren't here to get your luggage, so the truck will come, come back in about an hour. And it was a beautiful evening in North Dakota, you know, pretty warm, not too many mosquitoes. And in fact, there were several other people that were going to wait with me for their luggage. And I realized I could just tell them, well, look, we don't need to all stay here. Why don't you go to your rooms and check in and relax, and when the luggage gets here, I'll bring it to you. So I was able to move from cultivating anger to cultivating generosity. And it was just choices. You know, it's just choices we make if we can see that we have the choice. Let's see. Uh, another way to deal with unskillful states is diversion of attention. So there may be times when a skillful way to work with it is to just just not pay attention. And not in a delusional way. I mean, you recognize that there's an Ill, unskillful thought there, but it might be that if you just withdraw your attention from it, it's going to kind of dissipate on its own. You don't really need to do anything more than just withdraw your attention from it. Um, and the fourth way to deal with it is kind of the opposite of the third, which rather than withdrawing your attention is really investigating the source of the thought. So, so bringing some um, investigation to that uh, unskillful state of being. Um, and the example I have for that is something that happened to me just this week. Um, I had two different friends that I had left messages for. You know, I had just gotten back from a, a, a quite a bit of travel and I left message for, for them saying, well, you know, how about if we get together? What are you, you know, what's going on? What are you up to? And I didn't get a reply at all. You know, no what you know, no phone message, no email. And I found myself moving a little bit in the direction of mild righteous indignation. It's like Yeah, you know, fair weather friends. <laughs> And these are people that, uh, that I've known a long time. And, and so I recognize, well, I, I don't want to move into indifference. That just wasn't what I wanted, particularly with these two people. Um, 
And so I decided to investigate a little bit more about what was the thought of this of this kind of uh, irritation with these people. And I could recognize um, that I was feeling lonely, that I had been on the road for on and off for the last few months, and that I was really wanting connection and really wanting connection with people who in the past I've I've often received strong empathy from. And so by seeing that there really was a need that I had and owning that need, then I didn't have to harbor ill will towards people who weren't, didn't happen to be available when I wanted them to be available. And about a day after I made that realization, they both contacted me. And so I spent yesterday with one of them and I'm going to spend part of tomorrow with the other one. So I felt um, I felt happy that I had taken the time to investigate what was really going on so that I didn't let this kind of um, coolness or indifference grow. Let's see. And then the final... Um, the final um, suggestion that the Buddha gave for dealing with unskillful states was sometimes it just requires suppression. Just gritting your teeth. What do you say? Pressing the tongue to the top of the mouth. (laughs) Bearing down like a a large man laying on top of a small man. (laughs) Just there's sometimes when it's just the the best thing to do is just not let that thought keep going. And none of I think all of these five strategies have a time and a place. I mean, if you used suppression every single time an unskillful state came up, that would probably be considered denial. And you might not learn a lot by using that one all the time. Um, So it takes learning which one works in which situation for you that uh, it really is the practice. And also, you know, really learning to recognize what are the what are the situations and what are the conditions when these hindrances may arise so that you can prevent them. You know, like, like if you... Um, if, you knew that, if you know that when you come home from work at night and you might be kind of tired and prone to irritability, turning on the news, turning on Fox News may not be... <laughs> Just, you know, it, it may not be skillful. 
you know, and there may be other times when you're well rested and, you know, you really want to bring some investigation to how does how how do a lot of people in this country think? You know, like what informs them? And then you might want to watch Fox News with you know with some investigation of wow wow this is this you know this is um, what people are eating with their minds. Um, that's my own editorial comment. <laughs> So, if you can really learn to notice the signs of like when it, when is anger going to start to come up, you know, or when, when what what triggers jealousy, what leads you into despair, if you can really recognize those kind of those signposts, then you might be able to. Keep those unarisen, unskillful states of being from arising. And if they do arise, then you'll have to wait to next week to find out what to do. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd like to open it up for questions, but I would like to um, encourage you over the next week to... See if you can pay attention to your experience, particularly to can you notice when a state that you often deal with, you know, some unskillful or unpleasant state, if you can really recognize the signs preceding it and see if you can see, is there a choice there? You know, do I do I have to keep going? You know, is it inevitable that I mean, like, am I already off the cliff and going down, or can I make a choice to put on the brakes? So I would encourage you to to look into looking for those uh, places of choice, um, just short of a um, unskillful state. So, are there any questions or comments? Um, let's see. How about if you, I think Maureen will give you the microphone? Well, you talked about suppression tonight, and I don't remember who that was, maybe Carl Jung, who said, at the, boat, at the bottom of each and every neurosis, there is suppression. Do you have a comment? Well, I think, I think um, as I said, I think that one really has to be done in a conscious way and not used as the sole strategy I mean, I know there's been times when I've been really angry and I've really wanted to just go and tell somebody what I really thought about them. And I'm really glad that I suppressed the thought, that impulse at that moment. That doesn't mean that I pretended I didn't feel angry 
or that I didn't work with it in some way. But realizing that at that particular moment, just expressing it, that I, w- I wouldn't have been able to express it skillfully. So suppression, I think, has a place, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean going into ignorance about it and not working with it at some later time. Does that make sense to you? Thank you for your talk. Um, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I, I guess it'd be helpful to me if you just just kind of reviewed the main five points. You said five, and then I realized I could only think of three. So. Um, oh, for the, the five um, strategies for dealing with. Yeah, if you uh, could just name them each once, that would be great. Sure. Yeah, the first one is replacing an unskillful thought with a skillful thought. The second one is reflecting on the. Um, undesirable consequences of that unskillful. Okay. All right. Okay. So number one is replace. Replace an unskillful thought with a skillful thought. Number two is reflect. So reflect on what are the undesirable consequences of being in this state of being? So look, looking at the consequences of, of hanging out where you are right now. Three is ignore. And I say that with some trepidation. It doesn't doesn't mean to to go into permanent denial or or delusion or ignorance, but just just diverting your attention, just not not giving it, you know, if if it's something that doesn't have a lot of energy to it, maybe if you just withdraw your attention from it, just ignore it, it will kind of lose, kind of deflate on its own. Number four is investigate. So, so investig- you know, so instead of ignoring it, really bringing your full attention to what's that like? You know, investigating the source of the thought, the, s- the source of the emotion, um, looking more deeply into it. And then the fifth one is suppression. Just, you know, when it, you know, when you decide it's appropriate and that deciding it's appropriate really is a personal thing. It takes, takes skill and it takes uh, recognizing that you probably will have to come back to it later to deal with it. But from my experience, when I'm in the midst of extremely strong anger, I end up doing things that I regret later. 
So it doesn't mean never doing anything about it again, but it means not acting at a time when you don't have all your um, all the composure and discernment that you would like to have in making a in taking an action. So recognizing, okay, well at this time discernment's gone, <laughs> wisdom's gone, composure's gone, it's probably not a good time to make some life altering decision. <laughs> except when it is. So, did that help? Yes, thanks. Thanks a lot. Um, For me, most often, um, unskillful states are emotional states that seem to arise unbidden and don't seem to be under my rational control at all. so it's hard for me to begin to wrap myself around the idea that my rational mind could somehow be linked up with, I mean, I feel split, that there's an emotional part of me that has a life of its own, and then there's my more rational conscious mind that I have, I I feel I have more control over. I don't know how to link the two together very well. And the, the emotional side almost feels like the weather. It, it just happens, you know, uh, angry states or fearful states just arise, and then they seem to pass. Mm-hmm. And I can't seem to come up with any connection as to how, <laughs> how I'm in the middle of it mm. and can control any of it. Yeah. Well, sometimes emotions just do seem to arise and pass, and it might be fine. You know, that might if it's just like the clouds, they may come and go. It may be useful to look at is there any subtle way that you might be choosing an emotion or feeding an emotion? You know, sometimes there might be a certain um For me, sometimes I think I actually enjoy sorrow a little bit. There's a little, some kind of a sweetness to it, or something. And so I'll, I'll find myself seeking out some kind of sense of sorrow and kind of moving in that direction a little bit. Um, so it might be interesting to see when you say that these come and go with no. Um, intentionality on your part, you might want to see, is there a time when, you know, like maybe some, some thought of anger or some thought of sorrow or comes up and, and you can detect some way in which you might be making a decision to feed it or not feed it? It's often really subtle. I mean, they do, we do, you know, Right. It's very hard to get it all synthesized and internalized and feel it's all coming from in here. It's originating in here. You know, my my fear isn't originating out there. It's Mm -hmm. actually in here, but it seems that it's triggered by something out there. Right. So if if, if, feel out of my control. Right. So if you can pay attention to that to that moment when the trigger comes up, Mm -hmm. if you can note, you know, somebody 
says something and the emotion comes up. Oh, yeah, there was the trigger. You know, kind of just note triggering, you know, or just kind of really see if you can pay attention to the very beginnings of those emotions and the and the, the triggering. And again, see if um, what options you have to respond to that trigger. You know, what what volition do you have around responding to some of those triggers? I mean it might be that there's none, but it might it might be that you'll find that there is some you know, some you have some choice there. Is it on now? I said, I think you're a very good teacher. And one thing you mentioned was using words from the 21st century. And I was just wondering, because I want to remember this and study it more, uh, I don't think I could just go to the web. But it sounds so big. Hmm. But I was wondering if there's someone who wrote anything in 21st century language (laughs) to read. Um, Well, let's see. There's a couple places. The the classical readings from the the suttas are the Majjhima Nikaya number 20. So that's the... Okay. Well, it's really not in the Buddhist time, but it was in the, I think, the 19th century English when they translated them. Um, there's a site called Access to Insight that there should be a link to that from our website. Um, so Tanisha Bhikkhu has written about this. How do you spell? Oh. Jeff. He wrote a lot of the books that are out next to the Donna boxes. Um, so he's a very um, insightful writer. So he's he has an article about that. There's also a site that I found called vipassana.com, <laughs> which is kind of surprising to me, but it's actually um, had a pretty succinct way of describing this as well. Right. Right. Well, if you, if you read the suttas, um, a lot of them were translated um, in the 19th century, and so when they say, you know, uh, right. My question is. Um, on the on the um, technique of or the strategy of trying to um, be mindful or observe the trigger or what caused the emotions or the um, unwholesome emotions, 
which is one of the five strategies. Mm-hmm. I find that I'm pretty good at that, meaning I, I know exactly what that moment is or what that trigger is. The problem is once I know it, then I don't know what to do next to prevent this unwholesome emotion to arise. You know, I know it and here it comes and then there it goes. You know, I, I see it, I feel it and then it sort of spin out of control. And, and I, I am very aware of the phenomena, but I was looking for a strategy that, okay, it's very good that I, I, I saw it coming. It's here it is, you know, but how, what should I do to deter that unwholesome state to arise? Well, um, I mean, in some, some ways that's left to the reader. <laughs> but, um, but what occurs to me, just uh, as you say that, um, is one of the strategies was reflecting on the undesirable consequences of the thoughts. So if your neighbor says something to you that they've said you know, every day for the last year and each time you got angry, you might get to know that anger really, really well and you might reflect on, is this, do I want to go down this road again? You know, kind of, kind of seeing, you know, reflecting on what are the consequences of, of getting angry. And, um, and the other one might just be skillfully avoiding that. Like if, if every time you see your neighbor, you know, and some anger arises, you may start to notice what hours of the day they spend out in the backyard and <laughs> come out at a different time. You know, you, you, the practice doesn't mean you have to become an arhat, you know, overnight. You know, it's, it's skillful sometimes to just not put yourself in certain situations. So it might be that there's some situations that you can skillfully avoid. Thank you. Yeah. One thing I've tried from time to time with that, you know, to catch myself isn't, and I've uh, I've done work with groups on this as well, is is to really, you know, sit, you talk about reflection time, uh, is to you know trying to make a commitment to setting aside, you know, 15 minutes, half an hour a day. Where you pretty much devote your, your, you know, as much of your attention as you can on reflecting on, you know, what you've done over the past day, mm-hmm. as an example. That's something that you know has worked for me from time to time. That might be a possibility. Mm-hmm. See, I think there's somebody in the, in the back room. Oh, let's see. Okay. Well. Well, uh, let's see. Um, yeah, I find this talk real interesting, and I was thinking what s- sometimes I find. I think what gets makes me start to feel stressed is sometimes when, or and then I I ponder at times. Sometimes like some of people that in the household I live at, or maybe some people I'm doing work for. Uh, sometimes you know I'll start to feel like. Like, like when I, I sort of feel like some I'm avoiding having to deal with them at certain times because I, I'm feeling that they, 
they may be on some kind of critical trip that they're going to be laying on me if I have to deal with them at a certain time. And sometimes I think, but so sometimes I think, am I wrong to sometimes decide I'm not ready for that and sort of avoid it? Or uh, and then other times I think, well, maybe I'm being smart or skillful, blindly letting people late trips on me when maybe I'm not ready for it psychologically or something like that. So it's what I debate about, am I wrong that I sometimes decide I'm too tired at the end of the day to maybe have to go interact with them or something if it's been a long day and like some or am then sometimes I feel guilty, oh gee, I guess I didn't ever talk to them at all yesterday and then I go, whoa, was I wrong to just be doing what I needed to do? Or, and that's the things I ponder sometimes. So what they trigger in me is sort of a guilt. I start wrestling with, oh, let's see, was I being a bad person that I didn't go ahead and say hi to them at the end of the day, even if they were just maybe going to be coming up with some criticism of about something ridiculous or something like that. So that's what I'm pondering sometimes. All right. So are you feeling, uh, so is what's arising confusion and judgment? Um, well, what it is is sometimes I feel like... Self-judgment? Yeah. Sometimes, like I wrestle between, like, oh, you know, feeling like it's, I'm maybe doing the right thing by... Sometimes deciding, hey, I'm, it's the long day, I'm tired. If I want to just go in my room and go to sleep, I have the right to do that. And then I'd go, oh, gee, should I have gone and said hello to so-and-so who was, they were still sitting up and watching TV. Should I have gone and said hi just to be a nice guy? Or was it okay? I decided I'm tired and just went straight in and went to bed. You know, that's the kind of thing I, I debate about, oh, gee, was I being too antisocial to that person, that kind of thing. But but I try, I figure, well, I shouldn't just think I have to always be sort of uh, catering to other people. So then I kind of rationalize, well, that maybe I was being skillful by avoiding being sort of a sociable when I didn't feel up to it or right. something like that. Well, it, it sounds to me like <laughs> a lot of that's going on internally. So you might want to bring investigation to it, not yeah. internally, but actually check it out with the other people. Oh, yeah, right. That's you know, a good so idea. So just bring that investigation so that those thoughts... Yeah. I mean, otherwise you just hang out in... In, just in, my in own kind mind. of a confused state of mind. Yeah. And if right. that's not what you, if that's not where you want to be hanging out in your life, <laughs> yeah. then bringing some investigation to it uh, yeah. is probably a skillful thing. Yeah, that's a good, good, good suggestion. Thanks. Okay. Well, it's it's after nine now, and I noticed some people <laughs> wandering out. So, uh, thank you all for your attention, and I'm willing to stay later if you have any other questions.